Um, I, I could have, I didn't know where to cut that video. It's so good, right? So true. So look, last week we asked uh, the question, what is the essence of marriage? And we discovered that marriage epitomizes this great gift that God has given the world, like a new way of connecting with one another that the Bible calls covenant relationships. And these are relationships that are based on the commitment to love or what can I give? As opposed to consumer relationships where it's based on like what can I get? And we found last week in the first week of this little two-week part, two-week talk on, on marriage, that marriage is God's idea and it's this living example of the kind of love that God has for us and longs for us to have for each other. Whether we're married or single, widowed or divorced, um, this is, is applicable to all of us because marriage is an example of the kind of way, of the way that God wants us to relate to him and to one another. And this is why Jesus says like crazy, upside down, counterintuitive things like, I did not come to be served, but to serve, which is the model for how he invites us to live and what he called the abundant life. And last week we said that maybe that looks like entering into a covenant relationship with him and then transforming all of our relationships into these covenant, what can I give, how can I love relationships. Now we talk a lot when we're together about connecting with Jesus or following Jesus and, and what that might look like. And this morning, I'd like to invite us to consider that again and to kind of just morph that a little bit into how can we transform our relationship with God and with one another into these covenant relationships as opposed to consumer relationships. And to do that, we're gonna once again turn to God's gift of marriage as this living, breathing example of what he wants for us. So last Sunday we said this about the essence of marriage, that it is a covenant that cultivates intimacy it creates stability, and it completes freedom. And this morning, we're going to change our question from what is it to what is it for? What is marriage for? Or maybe we could put it this way. What is the mission of marriage? So one of my favorite philosophers um, used to teach at the University of Chicago, and his name was Mortimer Adler. And he taught there for decades, and he had this little saying that he would use all the time, and it was very, it's become very helpful for me. And this is what he said. He who asks the wrong questions gets the wrong answers. And I think that's true for every sphere of life, including religion. And religious people of all different religions have at least this one thing in common. They're all asking the same question, and it's essentially this question. How can I get God to love me? That is the religious question. Now, I would submit that that's, it's not a bad question. It's not an unfair question. But according to Jesus, it's the wrong question. And the variety of answers that religions have come up with to this wrong question have left a tragic mark of exclusion and judgment and shame and all kinds of religious persecution and even violence on human history. And so it is, it's into this world 
that's fixated on this question that Jesus shows up with his unbelievably good news, what we often call when we're together, his gospel of grace. And this gospel of grace offended religious people of all flavors, and it still does, because when he says things like this, like the kingdom of God is at hand, he is saying there's nothing you can do to get God on your side or to get God to love you because he's already on your side. God already loves you and me and everyone. So there's nothing we can do to get him to do that because he already does. And you, you can see why this would upset religious people because what Jesus is saying, he's confronting uh, established religion, official religion, and he's saying it's, your religion is pointless. All these things that you are trying to do, you're, you, are, you are trying to answer the wrong question. The issue of life is not how do we get God to love us? That's not the issue of life. The question is how do we get ourselves to love God? And so this is why, according to Jesus in his gospel of grace, life is for transformation. It is all about changing from people who naturally do not love. And when I say love here, I mean as in desire and delight in God into people who do. Or maybe you think, we could think about it this way. Into people who, like God, love love and love to love. That is what life is for, according to this gospel of grace. It's not about changing God, it's about changing us. And you see, religion, in the end, and at its root, is about changing God. It's about changing God's mind about us. What can I do to change God's mind, or change God's heart, or the way that he looks at me? I light this candle, I face this direction, I say this chant, maybe if I sing this song or give this money. What if I march up this mountain, make this sacrifice? If I stop doing X, if I start doing Y, then, maybe then, God, then will you love me? That's what it's about. And maybe you're familiar with this phrase. It's one big quid pro quo. That's what it is. Religion is transactional. This for that. And grace, Jesus and his gospel of grace is totally different. Grace is all about changing us. It is transformational. And what we are seeing in God's best illustration of grace, covenant relationships, or in what we're talking about um, last week and this week, marriage, it is a quid pro go. Like go and love. I made that up. See, all of this is the reason. When you, start to see, when you start to see it that way, it starts to make sense. Oh, this is why the Bible begins with a marriage and it ends with a marriage. Everything in between is the story of this marriage, right? Because what life is for, the very essence and meaning and mission of life, what it is for is paralleled. It is embodied 
in what marriage is for. Transformational relationships. Now, the contemporary notion of marriage is that it's just for romance and everything that comes along with it. And so we know this. Studies confirm this. Uh, music celebrates it. Uh, movies glamorize it. E-harmony ads confirm it, right? That in our culture, marriage is about finding and enjoying what? Our perfectly compatible soulmate, right? Now, there is an enormous problem with this view of marriage. If this is what you're looking for, or if this is your idea of what marriage is for, finding like the one and only, my one and only perfectly compatible soulmate, someone who won't, in fact, doesn't need to change, the problem is no one's really like that, right? We can try and we do. We pose and we market ourselves as fun, happy-go-lucky, people who are just a soulmate away from perfection, right? <laughs> Boom. But we aren't really like that, and neither is anybody else. When we get married, we come into it with flaws. Now I want to try to illustrate for you exactly what that looks like, and to do that, I have a couple of friends here. This is Mr. and Mrs. Mug, okay? So say, hey, this is Mr. Mug, and hey. This is Mrs. Mug. Okay, Mr. and Mrs. Mug. Now, Mr. and Mrs. Mug met right after college, and like many people, when they, you know, he saw her and said, I, ooh, I got, you know, and she's like, woo, you know, and he had a degree and a future, and she was, you know, look at her. I mean, she's a knockout, so she's, all oh, that's working for her. And so they started dating, and you know, when they first started dating and hanging out, they were so careful because he's trying to win her heart, and she's trying to win his affection, and you know, it's just, they were just so careful, and they had a few little, little problems along the way, and there were a couple of bumps in the relationship, but they were just so careful, and everything was gonna be great, and then they got married. And then about a month into their marriage, they had a, a, a problem, they had a bump, and stuff came out, and, <laughs> and, he, and he looked at her and said, whoa, where did all that come from? And she looked at him and said, well, I didn't know you had anger issues. And he said, well, I didn't have anger issues till you bumped me. Oh, there it is again. And then they had another problem and they, they just were, so, and she went to see her sister and she said, I didn't know he was like that. And he went to see, he went to see, you know, he went, I don't know, we don't know where guys go. They don't go anywhere, you know. He looked in the mirror, perhaps, I don't know. <laughs> and he sat around thinking, wow, she makes me so mad. She makes me so mad. Whenever she brings that up, I just get mad. And if she would quit bumping me like that, then I wouldn't be so mad. My, my wife, you know, she has issues. And so he says to her, he says, you know, when we, when we were dating, I didn't see all this. I didn't, where, where's all that coming from? She says, well, every time we get in an argument, you make me act that way. Now, it's been entertaining so far, even if you haven't learned anything, right? <laughs> now, here's what I want you to see. Mr. Mug thinks the reason the blue beads come out of him is because they keep having conflicts and she keeps bumping him. And Mrs. Mug thinks the pink beads keep coming out of her because he keeps, you know, they keep having problems and he keeps bumping her. But here's the, here's the truth. The reason blue beads come out of Mr. Mug is because that's what's in there. 
And the reason the pink beads come out of, you writing this down? The reason the pink beads come out of Mrs. Mug is because that's what's in there. And this is important. All of us have stuff in us. And you don't know what's in you until you get bumped. And a little bit too close to home for me. But here's the thing. We all show up in marriage with stuff in us. There are no two perfectly compatible people. Because everyone is fundamentally flawed. We're imperfect. We're incompatible. We're human beings. There's a great line in a Seinfeld episode where Jerry says 98% of people are undateable. And Elaine says, well, then how do all these people keep ending up with each other? And Jerry's answer, alcohol. <laughs> right? One writer, one writer puts it this way. The assumption that there is someone just right for us to marry and that if we look closely enough, we will find the right person, this assumption overlooks a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. <laughs> For marriage, being the enormous thing or bump that it is, means we are not the same person after we have entered into it. Which, by the way, is the point. The primary challenge of marriage is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. Man, I am so glad my wife is not in town this weekend. <laughs> now, if this is true, that we always marry the wrong person, and all of us who've been married for more than one year know that it is, yet, yet, marriage is God's idea it's his gift that he created for the mission of transforming us into people who will love love, then we need help. And so this morning, I'd like to suggest three perspectives and one secret. Three perspectives and one secret that I think may help us to live in and to live out the grace of God in covenant relationships. Now we're gonna use marriage as the example but this is applicable to all of us regardless of our marital status. And so the first perspective that I want us to consider is just recognizing that covenant relationships, what can I give relationships? Marriage is really hard. See, one of the reasons is that we see these celebrity marriages break up in like three weeks or whatever is because they, they go into them and they're not prepared. They really bought into this perfect compatibility like the soulmate myth. So after walking down the aisle, all the stuff they've both held in just starts to come out and the fairy tale turns into the nightmare and they assume that the marriage was a mistake. Marriage is not about two people who mesh perfectly coming together. Certainly compatibility is nice, it's important, but it's also about a constructive clash one author describes it like he uses a, a beautiful illustration of two gemstones. This is how he talks about marriage. And I, I give this illustration when I'm meeting with people before they're going to get married. And I go, you have to picture yourself as like these rough rocks with all these sharp edges. And marriage is being put into this gem tumbler with some sand and water. 
You turn that thing for 40 years, and you never know what could happen. They, you polish each other, and this is what you end up looking like at the end. But the process, it can be long and difficult at times. Perfect compatibility, perfect fit, wouldn't do that to us. It wouldn't polish us. In covenant relationships, here's what happens. Flaws are exposed, and we are faced with the choice of self-examination, reflection, humility, and the growth that leads to deeper connection, or if we are unwilling to go there and to, to let our guard down, it leads to defensiveness and blame and anger, which gives birth to resentment, which then leads to isolation and finally disconnection. Marriage is not a fairy tale. It is the epic novel written after Happily Ever After. It's got many chapters, some very happy, some very sad. Most are kind of slow and boring. But the end of the story makes it worth the read. You see, seeing marriage in the light of the gospel of grace as a gift for transformation means we're not, we're not surprised by how hard it is. It isn't easy. It's not supposed to be. That's what makes it very good. Keep 
So good, Mike. Mike wrote that for his wife, Dylan. Oh, so nice. So a second perspective on covenant relationships is it, it's not about just who they are now. It's about who they are becoming. Now, now don't get me wrong, when, especially when it comes to marriage, you definitely need to fall in love with the person that you're going to marry as they are. But it's also very important that, that we are in love with the person that we see them becoming. I, I moved to Los Angeles in August of 1989. And I quickly discovered um, that there are really two types of air in Los Angeles. There's smooth and chunky style. And like for a kid from Stevensville, Michigan, I was blown away at just how gross the air could be sometimes. And so the summer and the fall are the worst because that's the hottest times of year. And that's right when I got there was for a grad school in August. And the smog, especially back then, it was, it was horrible. It's better now, but it was horrible then. And so for my first few months in Los Angeles, I would come home from UCLA, drive south on Sepulveda, turn left or east on Venice Boulevard, okay? And so I'm going east on Venice Boulevard, and I, you could see straight downtown to LA, and this is what it looks like going east, okay? You could barely make out the downtown, that's what I thought Los Angeles looked like until it was like January, and then it happened. It was this cool winter morning. It had rained that night. The air was clear and clean, and so I'm going down Sepulveda. I turn left on Venice. I'm going east, and then I look up, and I almost drove my car off the road because for the first time ever, and I had, I'd been there for months now at this time, I got my first glimpse of what Los Angeles really looks like. This is Los Angeles when it's clear and clean. That's not Denver. That's not Salt Lake City. That is Los Angeles. And it's unbelievably beautiful. Nobody thinks of Los Angeles like this, and that's what it looks like all winter long, except we don't see it because it's hidden. See, you have to see it to believe it. What an incredible transformation. Years ago, my friend Dewey asked me, Mike, what is it that you love about Lisa? And without thinking about it, because I never really thought about it specifically, I just told him, I love the way that God loves her. I love the way she loves God. I just know that he is going to do something amazing in and through her life. Now, certainly when I asked Lisa to marry me, I loved her as she was, but I also loved who she was becoming. And there have been moments in our relationship when the sky clears, and I see this incredible view, this glimpse of who she is becoming, and it is, she is unbelievably inspiring to me. Marriage, in the light of the gospel of Jesus, seen as a gift for transforming us is not just about loving who you have in front of you. It is in some sense loving who they are becoming. I think this perspective on marriage means that you don't just say, I love you as you are. You can also say, your future excites me. I want to be a part of that with you. Now, I shared this idea with Lisa, and I could tell she was very touched and so I thought, well, this would be a good time. I asked this question. I'm like, so, you know, what is it that you loved about me, right? 
And she got this really guilty look on her face and admitted, oh, Mike, I just married you because you're so hot. Look, <laughs> it's a curse. What can I say, right? All right, third perspective, on, third perspective on marriage or covenant relationships is that friendship trumps chemistry. And this is one of the things I talk to with my high school friends all the time. Now, that doesn't mean that physical chemistry and attraction are not important. They are. But what it does mean is that friendship doesn't usually or doesn't always grow out of physical attraction, but great physical chemistry and attraction can and does grow often out of deep friendship. And there is nothing more attractive than someone you admire, someone you believe in, someone you trust, admiring and believing in and trusting in you. And this is why I think we see so many um, workplace romances or so many people who are involved in what I call shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder activities, moving towards the same goal. So maybe it's serving in the same place or maybe it's working in the same place. And it, it begins as a friendship. And over the years of seeing and admiring the competence and the compassion and the character of a colleague or a coworker, this chemistry, chemistry is developed and a relationship blooms. You see, for the mission of marriage to be accomplished, we need our partner to get us, to understand how we operate like a friend does, and then mirror what they see back to us, even when it hurts. That's what I love about these things. It kills me about these things. You get a guy away from his wife for a couple days, you pour a couple drinks into him, he all of a sudden becomes the world's foremost expert on sports. That's why God created wives, Bob. So that they could show men when they're being assholes. I mean, you get a guy away from his wife for any length of time, and he hasn't the first idea how to behave. Take it from me. Well, the Bible said God created Eve as a helpmeet. As a what? <laughs> a helper, suitable to meet his needs. I don't know anything about that, Bob. But what I do know is this. God created women to be mirrors so a man could see what an ass he is. I mean, you talk to me about souls, a man does not know what his soul looks like, hasn't any idea what his soul looks like until he gazes into the eyes of the woman that he's married to. And then, if he's any kind of decent human being, he spends the next couple of days throwing up. <laughs> because no man, no honest man, can stand that image. Go ahead, take your shoes off and be comfortable. Everybody's gone. I thought you said you didn't like being married. Well, I didn't. But that doesn't mean I don't recommend it. There's a lot of things in this life, Bob, that are good for you that are not necessarily pleasant. Like circumcision. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> So great. That is from the film, The Big Kahuna. I just love that film. I highly recommend it. So here's where we're at. Marriage is God's gift to us for transformation. 
It's for transforming us. And when we know that, when we see it that way, then we can bring this perspective to, our, to the covenant relationships in our lives. We're not surprised when they're hard, okay? We focus on who they are becoming, not just on who they are. And we remember that friendship trumps chemistry, okay? That the commitment to someone else is more important than initial attraction. Or if we're talking about covenant relationships in, in, our, in a friendship setting, um, than if you click or something like that. Now, all of this brings us, I said we're going to talk about three perspectives and one secret. And this brings us to the secret of marriage and all covenant relationships. Here it is. Let's start with this illustration. Now, how many times have we all seen this? Or maybe you've lived through it. I hope not, but we all have at least seen this up close. A couple gets married, and they're in love, and they start a family, they have a child, and as the child grows up, in spite of how hard it is to raise that child, we talked about this a little bit last week, and how much they have to sacrifice for that child, as the, parent, as the parents, as husband and wife, they give and give and give to the child. Standard. We, I mean, I, w- I wish it was universal, but that's like, you know, we know that that's, that happens most of the time. However, in the marriage... When difficult times come up, and let's say to be safe, it's the husband who, you know, messes up first, isn't showing up the way he used to be, isn't giving as much as he used to give initially. The wife thinks, hey, he isn't, you know, being the husband he used to be, so I'm not going to be the wife. I guess I'm not going to be the wife I used to be. So she gives a little less. Then the husband notices that, then he gives even less. And before you know it, it's this downward spiral. It is, it's the epitome of what we talked about as these are, this is the consumer relationship, right? You get into it for what you can get out of it. Somebody's giving me a little less, I'm gonna give them a little less, right? Now, what is the result of that dynamic? This is what we know. We see it all the time. 20, 25 years later into the marriage, the child leaves the house. Both parents are deeply committed have enormous affection for the child and can't stand each other. We see this over and over again. Now, why is that? I think this is why. And I think this is the secret. The more that we make love a verb, that we make love a story, the more you feel love as a noun or or the state of love. This is the secret to covenant relationships. Covenant relationships, like those between a parent and child where love is shown regardless of what is being given back, create affection. But the opposite is also true. Consumer relationships, where the less you give, where where the less you get, the less you give, in time they destroy affection. The big question before us is how? How in the world can we give more than we are getting? Won't this leave us like empty and bitter and resentful, depleted in the end? And the answer is yes, it will. So, and here here I have to say, this. I have to call a quick time out because one of the best things about my role here at Storyline and the culture that we have here is I am flooded with emails and texts on Sunday afternoon and Monday and into Tuesday and Wednesday. 
every week that happens after the message, okay? Some of them are even nice once in a while, so thank you. Mom, thank you, Mom. I appreciate that. <laughs> but last week, it was off the charts. Half my week was answering emails and setting up meetings with people. Here, here's the deal. Clearly, marriage, and even more, this idea of covenant relationship is a big deal for us. I meet with a group of guys every Wednesday morning, and it dominated the topic of discussion this week as well. So, the, the question before us all is, how do we do it? How in the world can we, how can we answer this invitation that God is, is trying to draw us into? Covenant relationships where we give more than we're getting. One writer talks about it like this. He describes it as love philanthropy. Or maybe we'll call it this. The secret to the secret of marriage. Philanthropy means, we know this, it means to be charitable, right? And to be charitable means you're giving away money with the expectation of nothing in return. And here's what that means. You have to have another source of income. You have to have another source. And this is true for marriages, and it's true for all covenant relationships, for them to work the way they were designed to work, which is to transform us and the people we're in covenant relationships with, we have to have another source. You can give an enormous amount of love to people who are not giving you much or any only if you are getting love from somewhere else. And here's the great news. The Bible says that God is not just loving. The Bible says that God is love. God is love. And when we are connected to God, we have an enormous capability one might say an infinite capability of giving love philanthropically. The Bible says it this way, when we love one another, God dwells deeply within us and his love becomes complete in us. You see, established in life by a covenant relationship with God, if that is the ground that we stand on, if that is the blood in our veins, the air in our lungs, if that's the light in our eyes, this covenant relationship of love with God, we don't enter into life giving love as an investment so that we can get it back in return. We give love because of that, the source that we're connected to. We are connected to God in a covenant relationship and we are transformed into beings who love loving Giving becomes a type of getting for us. It's an unbelievable, miraculous change from consumers to covenant makers. That literally is what, God, what philanthropy means. It means the love of loving. See, here's the deal. Life is about relationships. We all know this intuitively. Last week we talked about there is only one thing that we have, that we possess, that will last forever. And it is relationships. They last forever. 
This is why they are so critical and crucial in our life. They are the best part and the worst part of life is relationships. And the fundamental choice that we all have to make is how do we want to live? How do we want to live? And this is what Jesus is suggesting. It comes down to this. Give only what we are getting and you will be consumed. Or give more than we are getting and we will be transformed. Now all of this, the last two weeks, comes from this one line in the Bible about marriage. The Apostle Paul says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, on the cross, Jesus looks down on the people that he came to save, he came to love, and even though we aren't loving him, we aren't respecting him, we aren't giving him any affection or love back, he still gave himself up for us. This is the most loving act in the history of the world, Jesus giving all he had to give when we were not only not giving him anything, we were actually taking his very life from him. He could have escaped, he could have stopped it, he was free to leave, but he didn't. He kept loving, he kept on giving. How? How did he do it? You see, and this is where we come full circle back to this difference between religion and the way of grace because the problem with religion is it depicts God as a consumer, just the biggest and most powerful consumer. That's how religion, that's, it strongly implies that God is a consumer, a being who created us to get something from us. M many people, most of the people that I talk to that struggle with, they don't like church or they don't like faith or they dislike religion, they're actually objecting to this God as a consumer view of God, this unhappy, needy God. And they're shocked all the time when they talk, tell me about God and what they don't like about him, and I agree. This God who needs us to praise him or worship him in this quid pro quo relationship that the God of religion wants. But in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we see that God is not a consumer. He is a giver. In fact, the Bible says God is always giving. He didn't create us to get something from us. He created us to give something to us. Himself. That is how we can enter into this covenant with him. He started it. He went first. He initiated. And that is how we can give more than we are getting with one another because we have another source of income. We have, in fact, at our being offered to us, we have the very source of love, the essence of love in Jesus on a mission to love us, knowing and loving and being loved by God in the way that Jesus invites us to is the opposite of religion. It is not a consumer relationship. It is a covenant relationship. And this is the beauty of God's love. This is why God made us and what life is for. 
and why he so desperately wants us to accept his love and give it away. You see, God does not love us because we are lovely. He loves us to make us lovely. And we complete God's love in us only when we do with God's love what he does with it. Give it away. Love, as it turns out, is not something we can have. It is only something we can flow with.
love that song. <laughs> Marriage and, and all covenant relationships are God's gift to us. Because as we give love for the sake of others, we are transformed. We are changed into people who can, who do, who will enjoy loving God and being loved by God and loving others. That is what life is for. It is the abundant life. That is the mission of marriage and of all covenant relationships. They embody, they embrace, they enjoy, and they extend the grace of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this place and the opportunity to be together. This morning, I just want to thank you, especially for the people in our lives who have loved us even when we weren't all that lovely. Thank you for the grace and your desire to transform us into people who love you by inviting us to love others like you do, by giving, forgiving, inviting, and including. I pray this morning that we will accept our acceptance and your invitation to live life as a covenant of love. As we leave, I pray that you'd help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming, folks. Hope to see you next week.